Reading from 1 Corinthians 15, from verse 20 to 27 to 28, first off. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of, dead, of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. And then down to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you for your precious word written to us that opens our eyes to the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and everything that it means for us. Particularly today, we pray that you might, by your spirit, please soften our hearts to receive this wonderful news and to live in, the, in its light. And we pray that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the enduring memories of, the, of my, my kind of uh, memories of the 1990s, and perhaps if you're around then, you'll know this as well, around in Australia at that point, is this guy, uh, a.k.a. Tim Shaw from Demtel. Anyone remember Tim Shaw on the telly? Uh, he would uh, spruik his products, and, uh, and he'd convince you that what you needed anything, more than anything else was this, uh, the latest kind of set of knives or whatever it is. He became famous for throwing in a free set of steak knives at the end uh, of his pitch. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's right, and, and he became famous for his saying. What was it? But wait, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Uh, just when you think it can't get any better, Tim pulls out his famous line, and for the lucky viewers who call in the next 15 minutes, uh, you get a free set of steak knives. Well, friends, why do I bring up Tim Shaw this morning? Uh, when we get to 1 Corinthians 15, at the, at the point at which we're 
looking at today. Uh, uh, a, Paul, the apostle who wrote this chapter, he, does, he has his own kind of but wait, there's more moment. It, it's infinitely more wonderful than the free set of steak knives that gets thrown in. And he's not kind of spruiking a product like Tim Shaw. We saw this last week. Paul has been announcing a gospel. This, he's, been, he's been describing and writing about this great news that has come to the Corinthians and has gripped them and transformed them and transformed him. This great news about Jesus' death and resurrection. About, uh, in verses uh, 1 to 11 of chapter 15, there were these amazing claims. Jesus died for sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He was witnessed by five, over 500 people. Uh, and Paul wrote that the Corinthians had heard this news, this great announcement, and they'd received it. They hadn't just heard it. They'd received it. They'd taken it in, and they'd taken their stand on it. And Paul wrote, they were saved by this incredible news. Everything hung on the resurrection. And so in the, the, one of the passages we looked at last week, Paul writes, uh, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Everything hung on this past event for Paul, uh, this reality of Jesus' resurrection. And this is kind of just recapping from last week too. We looked at this great quote from C.S. Lewis who said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. That's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15. Because of the resurrection of... Everything hangs on it, on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It has been an incredible claim. A reality that opens up this, this brand new world for those who will hear it and receive it and take their stand on it and uh, be saved by it. And then we read the kind of the turning point of this chapter in verse 20, Paul writes, but Christ has been raised. But Christ has been raised. He says it's true. It's totally outside what we kind of think. It's totally outside what we'd expect. But it's wonderfully, incredibly, magnificently true if you were around when this letter was written, you could go to those 500 people. Remember last week we talked about You could go up to them and you could, you could investigate uh, Paul's claim that Jesus rose from the dead. He said, look, there's people everywhere who saw him, who touched him, who talked to him. Go and talk to them. And it changes everything. This great announcement of Easter that we looked at last week and that the first part of that chapter is about it is anchored in past events. Past, a past reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, things that have happened in the past. Uh, this news about something that's been done, something that's been achieved, something that's been accomplished. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian today, your faith is grounded in that past reality, this thing that has been done, this thing that's been achieved. Your trust in Jesus is in this great accomplishment. And that sets the gospel, the Christian gospel, apart from every other claim. It gives you incredible grounds for confidence in this gospel. But then from verse 20 onwards, Paul does his, but wait, there's more kind of thing. Uh, we're going to touch on most of the chapter this week. But there will be a few sections that we look at next week. Uh, but hopefully that will become clear later on. But basically what Paul does is, from this point on, uh, you can see... Um, He's been talking about, uh, there should be a bit of a, if we go to the, flick to the next slide, uh, this is kind of, 
Basically, what Paul's, Paul gets to is this is his but wait, there's more moment. He's been describing these things in the past. So this is kind of, well, this is Paul and the Christians at that time and us. He's saying these events happened in the past of Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, these past realities that are, that are so key to this great news. But then what he does from the rest of this chapter is he kind of turns his head and starts to look forward. Uh, and the way we're going to sort of break down this chapter is he, kind of, he starts to look forward in two different ways. He's, he looks forward to um, a, a really personal, individual kind of future that the past resurrection of Jesus guarantees for us, this personal hope. Uh, every person who receives this great news, who takes their stand on it, has this mind-blowingly uh, glorious future. Uh, but he doesn't just leave it at that. The other kind of thing we'll reflect on today is not just a personal hope that Paul talks about, but he goes global, he goes cosmic, uh, a, a kind of cosmic future, the whole world. Everything will be put right in harmony under Jesus' good and life-giving rule, and God will be all in all. Uh, so that's where we're kind of heading this morning, um, and hopefully, as Steve mentioned, you have a, if you're interested in looking along, seeing we're up to, there's a hand out there. Um, I was so glad that we had that kind of illustration of the first fruits, though. We're, uh, uh, that, was, that was good. Um, I, we're coming into apple season now, right? So um, Miriam and I used to, and the kids used to live up in the hills, and the place we lived at, we were renting, had a little apple orchard there. So uh, we love kind of seeing the apples start to grow, and it was really exciting when you got the first apple, because what that kind of meant was, well, the rest is on its way, right? It kind of guarantees the rest of the crop uh, coming up, this, this idea of the first fruits. And that's, uh, in the Bible, this idea of first fruits is, yeah, as we saw, it kind of talks about the first and the best that guarantees all the rest. The first thing and guarantees all the rest. It's the taste to come of the future. You get that in verse 20, um, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, and then from verse 21, though, Paul, he uses these two different uh, words, these two different ideas of being in Adam versus in Christ, in Adam and in Christ. Uh, Paul splits the whole world into two different groups, those who are in Adam, those who are in Christ, those who belong to Adam, who are kind of part of his family tree, and those who've been grafted into Jesus' new family tree, those who are in Christ, the, that group over which Christ is the first one, the head, the leader, the one who sets the direction for everyone else. And it's a stunning and huge claim that Paul makes. Uh, Jesus is the head of a new humanity because of his resurrection from the dead. A an entire new way of being human. His resurrection is the first taste of this new kind of way of being human, this new humanity. It's what Adam and his children, it's what we as those who were in Adam, uh, were meant to be, but have failed to be. Jesus' resurrection is like the first fruits. It is the first fruits. It's the first taste that guarantees all the rest. And Paul says, each in its turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Well, if you skip down to verse 35, though, um, Paul asks this question, this question. He kind of anticipates a question. He says, someone's going to ask you, but okay, Paul, get real, you know, <laughs> come on. If the dead are raised, what kind of body are they going to be raised in? As if, you know, I can't imagine that. It's, it's probably 
um, a kind of scoffing, mocking kind of tone behind this question. Uh, and uh, that's why Paul responds so sort of seriously, so dramatically to it. Uh, this, this sort of imagines this question and says, Paul, your learning has driven you mad. Someone else said that to Paul. Uh, you say everyone's going to be raised. How's that, how could that possibly happen? How, it's impossible. I can't imagine it. Uh, I'm going to skip through, well, I'm going to not skip through, but sort of um, skim over a, a, a large-ish chunk that we didn't have read out. But if you have your Bibles open, you can see before you from verse 36 to 49. And Paul says, basically, the answer to this question is all, all has to do with trees and seeds. I don't know if you, if you can imagine a huge oak tree. Okay, so um, this massive kind of oak tree. Paul says in this section, uh, imagine you've never seen an oak tree before. Okay, and in fact, imagine you've never seen a tree before. You don't know what a tree is. Uh, all you've got in front of you is uh, an acorn, one of these acorns. Okay, all you've, all you've got in front of you. You don't know what an oak tree looks like. You don't know what it's about. You've, but you've got an acorn in front of you. Okay, uh, and could you possibly imagine what that seed would turn into once you plant it in the ground and let it grow? Could, if, if, if that's all you had to go on, could could you possibly get your head around what that would kind of what reality that would look like once it's been buried in the ground and rises up into what it gets transformed into? If someone told you that if you buried that seed in the ground, it would rise up to be this huge, thick, winding thing that would house uh, hundreds of animals that would give shade to people that I mean you'd think they were crazy, right? If you didn't know what a tree was. <laughs> it's impossible to anticipate. Uh, Paul, he says, trying to anticipate, kind of get into all the details of what this resurrection hope is going to look like for you personally, what kind of body will you be raised with, is sort of like trying to anticipate, trying to guess what a seed will become if you don't know what a tree is. <laughs> do, you, do you get the kind of the connection, the kind of thing Paul's saying there? There is... Like there's a, there's, a, there's a continuity, right? Like that seed has everything in it to become that tree. It is the same thing, but it's incredibly, wonderfully transformed. It's more, it's bigger, it's uh, incredible transformation. And Paul, through this sort of part in verse 36 and 49, if you're kind of skimming through that in your Bibles, he goes, you get these contrasts between what this transformation looks like Earthly versus heavenly, perishable versus imperishable, dishonourable versus glorious, weakness versus power, natural body versus a spiritual body. He's not saying they're kind of non-physical versus physical. Um, he's saying our bodies in this world that are broken by sin uh, versus our bodies given a new and undying life by God's spirit, spiritual bodies. And then in verse 50, you get this incredible part of this chapter and basically Paul says we need it friends more than anything flesh and blood our bodies in this world our fallen bodies our bodies that decay and our bodies that will die these bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God we need this transformation but then from verse 51, the great gospel promise comes for all those who are in Christ. I'm going to read this again uh, to kind of, so that we can soak ourselves in this incredible 
reality that Paul describes. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this rich, poetic kind of description. We're not supposed to see and try and figure out all the details, but the reality is there. A glorious, wonderful future waits for all of those who are in the kind of Christ train, holding onto that rope by faith. A glorious, incredible future. It's bigger, it's more real, it's more glorious than our life here and now. It's as bigger and as better and as more glorious than an oak tree is compared to its acorn. It's real, physical future, finally free from sin, finally free from the sins, from sin's great consequence, from death itself. Even death will die, and Jesus will share his victory with his people. It is a um, we, um, and again, it's a long chapter. We're kind of going over a lot of stuff this morning. But if you just sit back for a minute, and it is a, it's an incredible thing to say, right? Incredible. A, a wonderful, mind-blowing transformation that Paul describes. But even that's not enough, okay? Uh, Paul has kind of maybe another Tim Shaw moment. But wait, there's even more. There's even more. Um, when you get to verse 24, if you, uh, we kind of skipped over that bit, but we'll go back to it now. Verse 24, uh, there's even more than just uh, our individual futures as those who are connected to Christ. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over, that's Jesus, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This gospel that Paul has been changed by, this gospel that's gripped him, this great announcement about Jesus that brings joy and new life, it doesn't just speak about me, it doesn't just speak about you, it speaks about all things. God the Father is bringing all things under the good, life-giving and right rule of his son, the Lord Jesus, who will then, in this beautiful act of order and unity within the Trinity, who will then hand all things back to the Father, so that, in verse 28, so that God may be all in all. Well, friends, um, as I said, there's so much in this chapter. There are a few things, though, to really focus on this morning as we reflect on the, the hope of the resurrection. I don't know, if, if, if you've ever been hiking before, uh, if you go through, like wherever you're going, you're kind of hiking through some scrub, 
And then maybe unexpectedly, all of a sudden, you, you come to a bit of a clearing with a, a cliff in front of you and this huge, this incredible panoramic vista out in front of you. Or you get to the cliffs at the water that you weren't, kind of didn't know you were there and suddenly you see this amazing view, this incredible picture before you. Now that's kind of like what 1 Corinthians 15 is like, this, this chapter. It's a bit like that. Uh, it kind of clears away all the trees and you get this incredible view of the hope that the great news of Jesus brings and guarantees. Um, but it may be, friends, for you that this morning as you're with us, it may be for you that for whatever reason uh, you're not sure if this great view that kind of gets opened up by this chapter, perhaps you're not sure if it's real or if it's kind of just a mirage, a bit of wishful thinking. Uh, perhaps you're not actually convinced yourself that um, Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, the kind of claims of the first Easter. Uh, that is a, a really great concern to have. Um, Jesus' resurrection lies at the heart of whether all of this is true. Last week, and as we saw, if Jesus wasn't raised, then all of the, the claims of Christianity come tumbling down like a, a house of cards or... If you are here last week, you remember the video of the Tower of Blocks just coming crumbling down without Jesus being raised from the dead. There's lots to say, uh, if that's kind of where you're at, there's lots to say about the confidence that we can have in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the, the Bible's account of it, uh, how from a, a historical point of view it's the only plausible explanation for the events of the first Easter and, and the, the, the incredible things that happened after it. Um, but even if you're not convinced that the resurrection is true, I want to suggest to you that if, if you have half a pulse, you should at least want it to be true. You should at least want it to be true. Uh, the incredible vision, the view, the panorama that's opened up to us in this chapter is breathtaking and it's wonderful. And all of us should want it to be true. I just want to show you one reason as we kind of finish reflecting on these things. One reason, one way this kind of hope that the resurrection of Jesus opens up for us. One way in which it transforms life for those who would receive it and take their stand on it and be saved by it. Um, so another diagram up on the, on the screen. That's you, okay? Um, this is your life, beginning to end, cradle to grave. Um, Increasingly for, for in our culture, but for all of us at times, we kind of find, find ourselves thinking that that's it, right? This is, that's what's really important. You from cradle to grave. Uh, we, can't, can, we can live in a closed-off kind of a world. Uh, whatever happened before you were born is kind of interesting if you're into that sort of thing, but not that important. And whatever happens after you're gone, well, that's it. You, there is nothing else. You only live once, and whatever's ahead of you until whenever that is, that's it. Um, that kind of vision of, the, of your life is pretty common, I think, today. And what it can tend to do is, uh, it can, you can tend to live anchored in your own past. So this is this guy, he's, he's, he's looking back to his past. Uh, you, you can live, we can live anchored in our yesterday. We can have our eyes just on... Our past or our future, we can be defined by our yesterday and our tomorrow. And that's a problem. To live anchored in yesterday means you'll be haunted by the guilt 
and shame of things that you can't undo. Uh, it means you'll easily be gripped by anger at how people have hurt you in your past, yesterday. Uh, or perhaps it'll mean if life's turned out a bit better for you, perhaps it'll mean you'll be defined by pride in your achievements. What you've done in the past will dominate your sense of worth in, about yourself. And perhaps you'll become a proud and self-centred person. And it gets worse. Uh, to live with your eyes fixed on tomorrow, that's living with your eyes just fixed on yesterday, to live with your eyes fixed on tomorrow with all its uncertainty opens up for you all kinds of anxieties and fears. Uh, it can lead to a kind of hopelessness and despair because you just can't see any way out. Uh, or on the other hand, if things, uh, maybe things have gone sort of well enough for us, fixing our eyes on tomorrow can give us a kind of selfish ambition for the future, a view of tomorrow that's basically about me and how I can achieve what I want in the brief time that I'm here. So to be dominated by yesterday and tomorrow, it leads us towards brokenness and despair or maybe pride and selfishness or probably a mix of all of it. But this great announcement of the good news of Jesus, what he has accomplished 2,000 years ago and what he guarantees in eternity offers you another way. It offers you another way of understanding yourself, seeing yourself. Instead of being defined by your yesterday, it anchors you in the past fixed reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's now the defining moment of your past. That's it. That's where you, that's where you keep coming back to to see who you are. It cuts away your pride because it says you are so sinful that the Son of God had to give his life up to save you. And it lifts you up out of your guilt and shame, giving you forgiveness and freedom through Jesus. It makes you humble and it lifts you up. And, well, to, to stay on theme, but wait, there's more. That This resurrection means... What for it, what, not only what kind of defines us in the past, but what fills our horizons in the future isn't tomorrow's anxieties, is not tomorrow's concerns with all its worries and all its possibilities even. What fills our horizon is this great panorama of God's coming future. Uh, so we can live with hope and peace uh, and joy in the place of fear. We can be self-forgetful in the place of pride and anxiety and selfish ambition. And friends, we can be that, we can live like that, even in the face of the terrible reality of death and brokenness that surrounds us. That is a, it's a pretty um, incredible thing to say, isn't it? Perhaps even it's a bit of an offensive thing to say. To say that this reality defines us even more than my yesterday and my tomorrow. The cross and the resurrection and the glorious future hope through Jesus. Resurrection hope doesn't sweep death under the carpet. 
This isn't just kind of closing your eyes to the reality of brokenness and sadness in this world. It pulls it out from under the carpet and shines a light on it. It acknowledges its pain, but it can still say, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, uh, we've seen the past reality of Jesus' cross and resurrection. Today, we've had a chance to just um, hear and receive and reflect on the incredible future that's guaranteed by that past event. An incredible future for you if you are trusting in Christ. An incredible future for the whole of creation as God in his commitment to his world um, will come and renew all things for his glory under Jesus' lordship. But next week, we're going to kind of see how those two realities of the, not my yesterday and my tomorrow, but the great past of the cross and resurrection and the great future of God's coming future, how they kind of hit home for you today, for us today here and now. So that's, that's where we'll um, focus our thoughts from this chapter next week. Um, but friends, let's pray in response in as we reflect on these things. Our Father, we pray that we might not, um, in our fear of tomorrow, we might not turn a blind eye to the reality of um, the brokenness of this world and even the reality of death. Um, for those who are broken by that, Father, we pray, please uh, comfort us with the great hope of the resurrection. Help us to fix our eyes on that and to be shaped by it. Uh, for those who do tend to kind of just not think about those kinds of things, please maybe even shake us up a little bit today. Uh, give us a realness. Um, give us, we pray, a deep confidence in the past reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. And as we think about our own lives, uh, we pray that that will fuel us, not, not to be anchored in our yesterday, but to see ourselves as defined by that great event and by the coming future that it guarantees for us. Father, we pray that that might flow out in our lives, in lives of joy and thankfulness and humility and lives of quiet confidence in the face of all that this world will bring. We thank you that that gives us an identity that's not grounded in our circumstances, but in what you have achieved and what you will achieve. We thank you for the wonderful freedom that that gives us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.